Hello, hello, and welcome back to Genderator. I'm your host, Jennifer Sanfilippo. This season two kickoff interview is a back to school special. Everyone involved in our education system will find this interview exceptionally powerful and thought provoking. Whether you're a crossing guard, teacher, parent, bus driver, student, or administrator, this discussion on disproportionality is a must listen. And remember, you're invited to post your comments on my website at www.genderator.com. That's Genderator with a J. Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Genderator. I'm your host, Jennifer Sanfilippo. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Brandon Jones, an administrator for the Greece Central School District. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you for joining me. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. It's such a beautiful day. We're so fortunate. It's so beautiful. It's lovely out, right? I'm sorry. I've got you sequestered in a room <laughs> talking to me. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> now, um, you have been, you're an administrator with the Greece Central School District now, but you've been in education for a number of years. So how long have you been in education? I'm just finishing up my 10th year, just finishing up my 10th year. So before I was in the Greece Central School District, I was in the Rochester City School District. Mm -hmm. Started off as a special education teacher, had done that for about seven, six and a half, seven years. Mm -hmm. And then I became a special administrator. Um, and then from there, unfortunately I was laid off, mm -hmm. um, but I was fortunate enough to get a job at, at Greece as an assistant principal in, in the Greece Central School District. Yeah, but it, it's been a extremely, uh, what's the word? It's been an extremely exciting 10 years because literally there's been so much variety in my mm -hmm. 10 years mm -hmm. that I feel like I have a, a wealth of knowledge mm -hmm. when it comes to different types of settings, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So when I first started in the city, I was at a school that doesn't exist anymore, um, but it was a, a, a struggling school that ha that needed a lot of work that the state eventually said, you know, it's got to be closed down. I was there for a few years, and then I went to a highly functioning city school, School mm -hmm. of the Arts, mm -hmm. and, and, and there I got to see like an urban school, an urban setting that was working, mm -hmm. that worked for its student population, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then I shifted gears to a suburban district, right? Mm -hmm. um, and with the Greece Central School District, and I could see um, with Greece the level of need that they have, that we have, uh, but also just the amount of excellence that's happening there too. Mm -hmm. So to be able to compare those three different settings has really been quite eye-opening, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it really has been. I can only imagine because, you know, just pulling up some of the stats on Rochester, New York, in 2018 the graduation rate was at 53.5% and according to Census Bureau data at the end of 2018 the percentage of children living in poverty was almost 52%. So that's a that's a very different, you know, environment and and, and has a lot of different um, impact and, and, and effect on what happens in learning in the school district. Right. So I'm, I'm interested in, in some of the differences you see between the urban setting and the suburban setting in this region. And in particular, you know, the topic that I've actually pulled you in here for today on this gorgeous day is to talk about uh, disproportionality. Disproportionality. And that's something that we're hearing more and more about um, 
I mean, it's been around for a while, but I'm interested in learning about what, what exactly it is and, and what you're seeing from your vantage point. Sure. So maybe if you could tell me how, how you define disproportionality. So disproportionality is such a big word mm -hmm. um, and it has such power behind it. But if I was to simplify it, I would say overrepresentation. Right, like mm -hmm. overrepresentation, specifically of minority students, um, in situations that are always that are not great situations. Mm -hmm. Right, um, so in education, when we talk about disproportionality, we're talking about an overrepresentation of students of color, pri primarily Black and Latino students, um, when it comes to sp special education. Mm -hmm. Right, so having. Um, based on the whole population, right, having a larger set of black and brown students in special education, when it comes to discipline, it's having um, more black and Latino students being suspended at higher rates than their white or Asian counterparts, mm -hmm. but specifically their white counterparts. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, disproportionality again, is really just over-representation, and it's over-representation of Black and Latino students um, in, in really critical areas, right? So mm -hmm. it's not usually a positive, mm -hmm. right? It's usually, it's not over-representation in the sense that there's more Black and Latino students, you know, in the National Honor Society. That's unfortunately not what it is. It's usually um, um, a, a poor racial achievement gap, so we may have a larger amount of students um, who are black and brown who receive a level one or a level two on state exams. Mm -hmm. um, Again, discipline when it comes mm -hmm. to suspensions. Mm -hmm. We might see more black and Latino students being suspended at a higher rate than their white counterparts. Mm -hmm. And then um, special education, mm -hmm. seeing a higher amount of students of color Mm -hmm. in special education classes. Mm -hmm. And going back to your original question around the difference between um, what I've experienced is the difference between a city school setting and a suburban school setting is primarily around the population that those school districts have to service, mm -hmm. right? So when we look at the city school district, for example, mm -hmm. um, and as you stated in the in the intro, there's a higher rate of poverty in the city. We're seeing um, a lot of mental health situations in the city, you know, that appear to be higher than we do in suburban areas, mm -hmm. um, and specifically being able to treat those areas. Mm -hmm. So then what happens is the school, which is a mirror of the community, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a reflection of what's happening in the community. Mm -hmm. They're servicing students who come to school with that, that trauma, with those ACEs, who come to school with that, with that poverty, mm -hmm. right? And when you go to our suburban districts, our neighboring districts in the city, it's less than. Mm -hmm. in those areas, mm -hmm. right? It's less than. Um, so our, our suburban colleagues are able to, to do more with their students who are struggling because they have less of them mm -hmm. to do with, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. There's not as many students who are living in poverty, mm -hmm. who are living um, with as many um, adverse childhood experiences or ACEs that we call them, mm -hmm. aka trauma. Mm -hmm. um, which, which means we can support them on a more individual level. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially what I saw from my first-hand experience, is that um, there's a lot of burden 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bur- burden in the city school district around how to support these kids because when all of that stuff is happening, yeah. it's hard for that child to focus on mm-hmm. education. Yes. It's harder for them to sit there and get when they're focusing about their, you know, where they're going to get their meals mm-hmm. or how are they going to, you know, where is the shelter going to be? And I'm not saying every student in the city has that extreme level of situation, mm-hmm. but there's predominantly more of it, mm-hmm. which I think is why we see such a gap mm-hmm. when it comes to achievement in the city versus achievement in the surrounding suburban areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Disproportionality also refers to the uh, amount of disciplinary actions, is yeah. that correct? Yeah. And, and who's being you know, disciplined at, at what level for, for what offenses, so right. to speak. And I think that that's something becoming more and more um, of an awareness for school districts. So you had shared with me a story about when you first started in your new role that there was a lot of work being done to to be to pay attention to um, disciplinary action, how kids were being advanced or or held back. And right, can you, right. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So I think. The Greece Central School District is doing something phenomenal. Um, I think what we're doing in Greece um, would would be, you know, almost earth-shattering type of change. Mm-hmm. Because essentially, what Greece has done mm-hmm. is Greece, under under the leadership of our current superintendent Kathleen Grautman, has decided we're going to to look at our data. We're going to look at what the state has pointed out to us and, in fact, what the state has cited us for Mm -hmm. um, and do something about it. Mm -hmm. And so let me explain what I'm talking about a little bit. So um, a couple years ago, Greece was cited for the amount of students in special education who were being being disciplined, primarily the amount of students of color within Mm -hmm. special education who were being disciplined. And when I say students of color, Again, I'm talking mostly about black students and Latino students, mm-hmm. right? And then just overall, our amount of students of color being disciplined, mm-hmm. even without special education. Mm-hmm. Now, that is not a unique phenomenon, mm-hmm. right? So I know for those of us who aren't in the school district, hearing about a citation may seem like it's, oh my gosh, like big deal, mm-hmm. right? And it is a big deal, but it's not something that's unique. There are districts across our state who gets cited who gets cited by the New York State Education Department. And it's basically the New York State Education Department saying, hey, wake up, you have to notice this. Look what's happening. Mm-hmm. And the problem is a lot of districts ignore those citations mm-hmm. or they say, what can we do about it? Mm-hmm. Right? Like what can we do about it mm-hmm. when we look and we see that we have more black black boys in special education, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes we, we move away from it and we say, well, we're not going to talk about race, mm-hmm. right? It's a socioeconomic thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a poverty thing and that's out of our control, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But there's actually two parts in the word socioeconomic, right? Like there's socio and then there's economic and we focus primarily on the economic piece overall, right? Like poverty. But then there's that socio piece about race, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So. So essentially, Greece was cited, and our superintendent said, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. We have to address it, right? We have to start looking at equity. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. racial equity. And it wasn't just like an event, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't what Starbucks did um, earlier this year and last year when they said we're going to close down our stores and we're going to do a one-day training yeah. on like implicit bias. Right. It was looking at our systems as a whole. So the story I had told you was literally, was I was hired July 1st, mm-hmm. two years ago, um, for the Greece Central School District. And on our first day of leadership week, there were these two women who stood up, two black women, and I did not recognize them, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, who are these women? And as a black man, I definitely been like, who are these women, right? Because they're, <laughs> I, I, we just don't have that many black school leaders in the Greece Central School District. And they got up, and the superintendent got up with them and said, hey, these folks are from the New York, New York University Technical Assistance Center for Disproportionality, their TACD program. Mm-hmm. And she said, we have, as a district, we have tapped into them to help us look at our systems and processes mm-hmm. to ensure that we are providing each student with an equitable education. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot there, right? Like yeah. the intro is huge, and you're like, whoa, right? Um, and this wasn't the beginning of the work in Greece, mm-hmm. but this was making the work more of a phenomenon, making it bigger and making it well-known because mm-hmm. Greece had been doing equity work for years. Mm-hmm. But I think, from what I hear, because I wasn't there for that long, mm-hmm. was that it was very small in nature and it was a pocket of people through an equity design team, right, mm-hmm. who, were, who were kind of doing the work. Mm-hmm. Now our superintendent said, enough of the silo. Yeah. Everyone has to take a lead on it. Mm-hmm. So on my first day of leadership training in Greece Central School District, <laughs> they are openly talking. Right, right, welcome. <laughs> and they're openly talking about race, mm-hmm. and not just talking about race, but acknowledging mm-hmm. our systemic problems with race. Mm-hmm. Acknowledging the fact that in our district, more black boys and more Latino boys are being suspended for more subjective mm-hmm disciplinary issues or and not or excuse me and we have more students who are being referred to special education who are black and brown than their white counterparts Mm -hmm. right when in our district of Greece the white population is around 55 60 percent right Mm -hmm. um but our percent of students in special education does not represent that that's enough that's and i don't know the specific numbers but i do know that the percent of black students that we have in the district Mm -hmm. when it comes to the percent of black students in special education it blooms Mm -hmm. so there's that discord it's overrepresented in special education and then not to mention them getting disciplined. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so there's a part of the conflict there. So now we're in this training with these folks and it's intense. Yeah. People are uncomfortable, right? Why are we talking about race? Why are we talking about race? Why are we why are we investing in this? And like mm-hmm. I said before, it's about economics. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's about poverty. It's not about race. Yeah. Right? Um, but it was there's a whole, that blind spot. A blind spot, a barrier, Barrier, right? Um, And in some ways, resistance, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. In some ways, we're seeing fragility happen there, white Mm -hmm. fragility happening Mm -hmm. there, Mm -hmm. in the sense of this isn't okay because if we're talking about it, then what are you implying about me? What are you implying about our practices here in Greece, right? Um, I'm not a racist. Right, I'm not a racist, yes. Um, And then when they were done, the superintendent stood up and she said, this is not going away. This is not just a one-day training. Mm-hmm. We've partnered up with NYU's Tech D, mm-hmm. right? They're going to be coming in and working with us. And you have to take this learning and turnkey it with your teaching staff, with your support staff, with your security, with your clerical, mm-hmm. right? And you have to look at your processes 
in your buildings mm -hmm. and make sure that they have an equitable approach mm -hmm. so that really no child's being left behind, yeah. but especially our students who are systematically left behind, which our data shows us is our black and Latino students, mm -hmm. right? And she didn't lie. Literally, we've been immersed in it now since I've been there. Right, um, our buildings are had their guardians of equity teams that you know all have been directed to kind of um, rep up, create, and, and have look at building processes. Our district as a whole has recreated that four to five day training that NYU put us through as school leaders. Mm -hmm. We've turnkeyed that, and now we've we put three to four cohorts through a year of just teaching staff and, and transportation staff and security staff so that they can sit through that four or five day training and really kind of immerse themselves in culturally responsive education, equity, um, and a bit of social emotional learning just through the process of understanding where you are, mm -hmm. your own self-awareness, and how to make responsible decision making. So it was actually quite mind-blowing, really. That, that, that's incredible. I mean, that, that piece about self-awareness is really the beginning, isn't mm -hmm. it? Well, the self-awareness is key, right? Like, so when you look at, when you look at disproportionality, mm -hmm. right, and you, and, and you first are introduced to the term, and you're first introduced to the fact that there may be a race problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like a racial achievement problem, right? Mm -hmm. The race, racial achievement gap or a race issue when it comes to discipline. It's that self-awareness that can often, or excuse me, lack of self-awareness mm -hmm. that can often get in the way mm -hmm. of us trying to correct the issues that we see, right? Or the issues that are being brought to mm -hmm. us. You, uh, yeah. Am I making sense? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So it's, it's amazing what you've been able to do as a district. And it sounds like you, the work is being woven into every, every area of education, not just the classroom, but like you said, transportation and, and grounds and security operations. And the work is still going. We're not done. We're just And there's never a done. Right, right, there. right. So how was it received and how, how were you able to really... Um, Clearly, the leadership was was saying this is how this is going to go, so there's mm -hmm, no pushing mm -hmm. back there. Yet, you still can meet with a lot of resistance, plus Absolutely. budgetary constraints mm -hmm. and time. I mean, how did how did it come to be that there was such a, a, a an incredibly collaborative effort throughout the district? Well, I'll tell you, one, it takes time, right, and two, it takes making it a priority. Mm -hmm. Right. And it takes a lot of going back to that self-awareness. It takes a lot of reflecting. Mm -hmm. Right. Because the superintendent can say, hey, you everyone take this learning. Right. Everything that we're doing and embed it in your practice. Mm -hmm. But if you are not self-aware of how you fit into that learning, mm -hmm. then the progress may be really slow and difficult for you. Yeah. Right. And so when I look at some of the resistance that the work has experienced in the Greece Central School District, a lot of it comes to individuality and a lot of it comes to understanding you know, what exactly it is that we're trying to, 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 to focus on here. So let me give an example. When, when we talk about race, mm -hmm. right, automatically barriers come up. Mm -hmm. Now, Glenn Singleton, who is this author of, of this great theory, and he wrote this book called Courageous Conversations About Race. Mm -hmm. Glenn Singleton talks about how, like, 
people of color, especially black and Latino people, talk about race often. Mm-hmm. However, in the white community, it isn't talked about as much mm-hmm. because if it's talked about, and Robin D'Angelo, another researcher, jumps, it talks about this as well. When it's talked about amongst white people, there's this idea of, oh, if we talk about it, then we are racist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because of what we know. So we cannot acknowledge race. It's better to be colorblind than it is to talk about it. Because if we talk about it, we can be perceived as racist. And here's the problem with that. There's the, there's the definitions of racism. There's the definition of racist. So essentially what's happening is when we talk about race and racism and a, and a racist, we're talking about an individual. Mm-hmm. Right? Not a system. We're talking about an individual. And this mm-hmm. is what Robin D'Angelo will say. We're talking about intention. Right? Mm-hmm. So we're meaning mm-hmm. to do harm. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's an intentional an intentional act by an individual. Mm-hmm. So therefore, if you call a person a racist, then you're saying you're not a good person. Mm-hmm. You're saying you're not a good person. And so that's what we call active racism. And that's the stuff that we learn about in our um, like textbooks in history, right? Mm-hmm. So that's when you see the Ku Klux Klan yeah. burning a cross, yeah. or you see the four colored sign above a water fountain, yeah. right? Yeah. Or the white entrance here, or lynchings. Like it's that horrible stuff, yeah. right? And so that puts up a barrier right away. Yeah. The thing that people are, are, and I don't want to say they're resistant to it because they, they know it's out there and they're, they're just like, whatever. They're resistant to it because they don't know it's out there. Mm-hmm. And that's that passive racism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the passive racism, the unconscious racism, the, the subtle racism, right? And um, in more common terms, we say implicit bias. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's things that we do because we live in a system that is inherently racist, mm-hmm. right? And it's not necessarily always individual, it's a collective, mm-hmm. right? And so if we exist in that system and we benefit from that system the way it is, mm-hmm. if you call us out on it, right? Or if you ask us to speak to it, we become fragile. Mm-hmm. And that's what Robin D'Angelo calls white fragility. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's, you can't go there. Mm-hmm. Because if you go there, you're saying I'm not a good person. Mm-hmm. And if you're saying I'm not a good person, especially in the education world, mm-hmm. like I'm a teacher, I'm an educator, mm-hmm. and now you want me to talk about race, and you're saying that my black students aren't performing as well as my white students? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're saying that, then you're saying I'm intentionally, as an individual, causing them harm. Mm-hmm. Instead of looking at it as a collective, as a system that's designed mm-hmm by its very nature, to be exclusionary, right? right? And so that barrier of just understanding mm-hmm. prevents folks from being self-aware. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that making sense? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's preventing people from being self-aware, which means we don't want to do the work yet. Yeah. Right? We can't do the work because, again, I'm stuck on the fact that you're calling me a racist. Yeah. Right? Which isn't necessarily yes. the case. Yeah. But... It's saying, hey, there's implicit biases, mm-hmm. and in some cases, unfortunately, there are acts of active racism, mm-hmm. right? Like, it happens, yes. right? But as a whole, as our system, mm-hmm. there's all of these um, inequitable um, systems in place yeah. that prevents students of color from achieving as well as they could. Mm-hmm. So, there is a gender component to all of this as well, isn't there? Oh, 100%. 
I understand that the majority of K through 12 teachers are women, mm-hmm. correct? And that's, you know, is that a nationwide? That is a nationwide trend. Yes. And then when you look at it even closer, they're majority white women. Yes. Right. Um, and so it, it's a, it's a, it's a huge thing to acknowledge that factor, right? Mm-hmm. Because what we have to acknowledge is that we have white women predominantly mm-hmm. who are in front of a, 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 a plethora of a, 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 a variety of different types of people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. A different types of people and then tasked with educating them, mm-hmm. right? Connecting with them as an individual mm-hmm. And connecting well enough where that child can then say, I trust you. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, I'm willing to learn from you. Okay? Now, when we look further into that dynamic, right? When we look at that white woman, and I'm going to go extreme opposites here. Mm-hmm. White woman, black boy. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. White women, and when we look at the Rochester City School District, for example, yes. that's, that's the predominant setup there. Where it's a white woman teaching a class that is mostly black and brown boys and girls, mm-hmm. right? So I wanna go, I wanna connect that a little bit to the idea of, of implicit bias, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's safe to say, right, that people who go into education have a kind heart. Mm-hmm. They have a kind soul, they want to do something to give back to society, because we all know it doesn't pay that well to be a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. But if you choose it, it means you, have, you, you feel like you have a calling for it. You mm-hmm. want to do well, mm-hmm. right? Now you're in it, and there's struggle, and there's hard struggle. And if, you are, if you're a white woman in front of black boys, how are we checking ourselves to make sure that like what they're presenting is still childlike behaviors, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not just blowing them out of proportion. Yeah. So, so here's another thing. Is that based on? I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick at that a little bit. You mean based on their own personal experience? Based on their own personal experiences, but yeah. also based on what on socialization. And what they might have, again, unconscious bias. On the unconscious thoughts. And and we're talking about women here. We're talking about white women. But I, I need to be clear that everyone, every single person has implicit bias. Right? right? No matter your race. Yeah. And you can have it for your own people. Yes. Right? Because we are all, none of us are immune to the same societal messages that we get. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, you, you hear them, you get them, and you process them differently based on your own identities. Mm-hmm. But we still have them. They're still there. Yeah. So, there's some research that shows, for example, that um, black boys who, who are young, if they have a black-sounding name, right? So, if their name is Jamal mm-hmm. or Quentin or... Jaquan, mm-hmm. right? Then they're perceived as older, right? Huh. So they're perceived as older than they are, huh. right? Now think about that, yeah. right? So I'm a middle school teacher, and I and I have some black boys in my classroom, and just the name alone may have me think, okay, they're a little older, mm-hmm. and not just older, but presenting as the same stereotypes that we get from the media, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. right? Um, so, so how am I going to interact with them? There was this really um, interesting study that was done, and, and excuse me if I quote this wrong, I think it was done by Yale University, mm-hmm. where they, they chose a, a bunch of teachers, mm-hmm. right, um, to watch a video of, of students. There were two, 
two black kids and two white kids. One boy, one girl. Mm -hmm. One black boy, one black girl. One white boy, one white girl. And the teacher had to watch Mm -hmm. and predict which child would present with the negative behaviors. Mm -hmm. Okay? So here's the, the part of, here's the crazy part of it all. None of the children in the video presented with negative behaviors, mm-hmm. right? But what the study shown that was 42, 42, 43% of the teachers who watched it predicted that the black boy would present with problem behaviors. 42%. When in fact, there was no problem behaviors in the video at all. So there was a camera watching their eyes and it also showed that those teachers were following the black boy more than they were the other three students. Now again, going back to that question of active racism versus passive racism, again, I, I, I would bet that it's pretty safe to assume that the majority of those teachers in that setting are not active racists. Yeah. There might be some, but it, we're safe to assume that it wasn't the case, mm-hmm. right? And they weren't all white teachers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why? Why did we follow them? Where did that come from for us to say that that black boy was going to present with more challenging behaviors? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. It is. And and, and frightening. Yeah. And that's and really it, it's, it, it's fascinating it's and it's painful, scary. Yeah. And it's scary because yeah. what it means is it's set up before, and if it goes unchecked, right? So if mm-hmm. it goes unchecked, when people are going through post-secondary school to become teachers, right? So when they're in a college university and they are not being exposed to that type of thinking and that type of Mm self-awareness, that means they're going into the classroom and could potentially have these thoughts that they don't even know about. So now what does that mean when I'm in a classroom? Yeah. Right? What does that mean as as a white woman teacher when I'm in a classroom, especially Let's go to an urban setting, mm-hmm. right? If we were to take RCSD in some of the schools, that white teacher might be in front of just black students or black and Latino students. So now I'm sitting there mm-hmm. or I'm standing there. I've prepared a lesson, right? And I have these unconscious thoughts. What might that, How might that manifest itself in my actions? Mm-hmm. Well, it may manifest itself in, you know what? I'm not going to create activities where my students get to move around the room as much because I don't want to lose control. I may just need them to take notes instead of collaborate because if they talk, they may get too loud, quote unquote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? And then I lose control. Mm-hmm. Now you're actually setting yourself up for a problem because oh, yeah. kids can't, I can't sit still. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And if you're not collaborating, if you're by your onesie in your desk for a length of time, someone's going to blow. You well, know, and need well, to move and need to interact well and, and, and that's where we see when we go back to that disproportionality piece and discipline mm-hmm. so what the research also shows us and I mentioned this earlier without explaining it was a lot of our students of color predominantly our black and Latino students get disciplinary action due to more subjective reasoning mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so what I mean by subjective is really around feelings mm-hmm. so for example uh, Brandon was too loud in class, and because he was so loud, lot, me and other students felt threatened. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of subjective language in there. Yes. Yeah. What does loud mean? What does threaten mean? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, what did Brandon do? Yeah. 
right? Versus, and, and, and then as an administrator, you may get that referral and you go, oh my God, Brandon was threatening kids in class? Yeah. yeah. Kids were threatened? Yeah. Right? When really Brandon could have said in class, man, I really hate this science lesson. Yeah. Could have screamed it out loud. Mm-hmm. But if I don't know that, and the only thing I'm getting on the referral is that Brandon was threatening or harassing me or whatever we want to say, then that what I could have given him as a conversation, right, or even a detention, might turn into an out-of-school suspension right. because you threatened someone. Right. So it right? escalates. It could escalate. All, all on its own, mm-hmm. based on the language used. Right. Yeah. And, and then the research also shows, and this is fascinating, it shows that... Students of color, predominantly black and Latino students, get more subjective referrals than their white counterparts who get objective. But then when you look at the comparison of objective disciplinary actions, it's actually less for black students. So, so let me explain what I mean by objective, by the way, too. Objective is just very straightforward. There's no feelings attached to it. It's just, this is what happens. So for example, um, Jennifer came in and pouted, threw her chair to the ground, and said, I hate you. I hate you. And that's what's written on the referral. Mm -hmm. It's very, we've got it, we know what it was. Use the words. Right. Done. Done. Now I can look at it and I can say, okay, how am I going to process this? Right? And so I might need to do further investigation. I mean, did she throw the chair across the room or did she just knock it to the ground? Right? Like, what was, she, 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 hates, she hates it here, right? Or she hates the teacher. Okay, well, how many kids say to their parents they hate you when they're frustrated, right? Like, does this mean that Jennifer needs to be out of school suspended? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. But it's a different approach that I may have to Jennifer versus Jennifer threatened the teacher, mm-hmm. came in screaming, told the teacher she hates her, um, and, and, and it was very threatening in the way she did it, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So the research shows us that black students don't get as many objective referrals, mm-hmm. right? It, it just doesn't happen, yeah. right? And, and sometimes it does, and that's the work of a district. I know that was some of the work we did in, in my building this mm-hmm. year, was working around like how to make sure our referrals are objective mm-hmm. when it comes to writing in order to prevent that implicit bias, yeah. right? Like how do we make sure that our feelings aren't in it? Mm-hmm. Right, like mm-hmm. I felt very sad, or I felt threatened, and while that matters, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter more than that child's like the approach we take to that child. Mm-hmm. I really just need to know what that child did, yeah. so I can address it appropriately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's so much, there's so much power that a white woman has in the education system. Right, so, so here's the fear that I have personally, that I know that some other folks have when we start talking about the racial equity work, is that one, it can't be done in isolation. No, yeah. Mm-mm. And it can't be done by the minority folks in the room. Mm-hmm. Right, so again, you started um, by saying, hey, women are, you know, make up the majority of the of the teaching population across the country, which is very true. Mm-hmm. So in order for the shift to come on, we're starting to break down this inherently racist system. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not always active racism, but mm-hmm. sometimes passive. Then the work has to be led and charged by white women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the only way, because they are the majority there. So they have to be able to recognize it. They have to be self-aware. 
of like where they fit into that system and what their own thoughts and beliefs are. And then most importantly, and even more, even more frightening is challenging those thoughts, yeah. challenging a system, mm-hmm. right? And that's what's happening in the Greek Central School District, I'm proud to say, is it's, it's we're challenging a system mm-hmm. to try to make change. And there's been a lot of things that has happened that has been scary because we have to put it out there, yeah. right? Like we have to acknowledge that it's an issue. Mm-hmm. And after we acknowledge it, we have to be able to listen and face it and accept it and say, okay, what are we going to do differently now? Mm-hmm. Right. And think about that question. What are we going to do differently? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Education has been around for hundreds of years. <laughs> and in some cases, you can go into a classroom and, and, and look and take a picture from the 1940s and not see much of a difference in just the setup. And now you're telling us we have to do something different? Yeah. Yes. That's a scary thought. And it's a big thought. Mm-hmm. But again, it's up to white women to take a leadership role in, in that work and questioning that work and challenging it and, and also not letting it die as a priority. Yes. Yeah. Right? It can't just be a an incident has occurred, so we're going to do our one day training on implicit bias and then we're done. Right, right. It's just we have a, to be a, it's the, a process. It's a continuous It's a process, process of accountability. It's a yeah. process of accountability that is continuous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Like everyone has to hold each other to high standards around this work and not let the ball drop. Yeah. Mm. Now, it's interesting because in, in season one, I, I talked a couple times with some of my guests about the need to have um, outside experts come in and help you with this kind of work. For, for corporate, it's you know your diversity, inclusion, and equity uh, efforts and creating inclusive envi- environments and um, psychological safety. And I, I find it fascinating that people think a lot of leadership teams think that they're able to handle it themselves in-house. And there are some wonderful people out there in HR departments who can um, manage an entire effort and keep the process going. But there are, in smaller markets, I think, in smaller companies, it, it would be um, more effective to go outside and bring in experts because, I mean, the way I look at it is if, if, you, if you broke your arm, you're not going to set your own arm. You're going to go to the doctor. Right. Like it's, right. it's that much of an important um, discipline and, and uh, knowledge set and skills that it requires professional people to come in and help teach, inform, coach, guide, and work you through the process that is that is never ending. Mm-hmm. So for um, you in the education system, you were talking about NYU's... TACD program, yeah. yes. Technical Assistance Center for Disproportionality. Mm-hmm. And do they stay with you throughout this process as a resource? I know they did the ori- original training, then everyone went to their schools and came up with their programs and wisely came up with the guardians so that you weren't doing it all by yourself mm-hmm. like you said mm-hmm. you needed that that support from the people who are actually implementing right in right. this case the white teachers female teachers so what would you advise people who are embarking on this effort you know how how would you go about it well, if I you think, were brand new to it i think the first thing is to not do it alone I know I've already said it, you've reinforced it, but it's not to do it alone. Absolutely seek out supports. If you're a school system, TACD is available to you. Mm-hmm. Now, how you access it is different based on, you know, if you've gotten citations, if you've had none, right? Mm-hmm. But it's there and they don't leave you. They did not leave us. They still work with us very closely mm-hmm. today. 
With that said, though, it's super important for districts, and I'm talking about districts here, and, and anyone listening could translate it into companies, organizations, but as far as school district goes, well, really everyone, it's super important to not rely on them solely. Mm-hmm. Let them open your eyes. Let them give you the training. Let them guide you. Mm-hmm. But you somehow have to internalize that work mm-hmm. in order for it to keep going. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you have to be able to say, okay, is what this outsider bringing me important? Can I connect it to our problem? Can I connect it to our dilemma, right? Our, our equity imperative, right? Mm-hmm. Can, I, can I connect it to that? Mm-hmm. And if I can, then I'm going to need them. I'm going to use them. Mm-hmm. But I'm also going to build a system around them yeah. so that we can turn keep the work so that if they ever went away, the work doesn't die. Yeah. yeah. Right, and that's why it can't just be an individual, yeah. because if that person goes away, who would carry the work? Yes, and I hear that actually. People say, "Oh, we had this wonderful HR leader, and she he created this great process and system, and then they left. Right, and and then it ended. Right, there there was nobody, you know, in succession, or there were no teams to continue right. the implementation and." They were lacking distributive leadership, for sure, in that yeah. case. Mm-hmm. And what, what is even worse, though, is not only is the effort dropped, but often it goes backwards because then everybody says, oh, we did that before and it didn't work. Right. That happens all the time in education, right? Like something comes up and they go, oh, we, we did that 10 years ago. That was this initiative and, it, it, and this one will go too. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's, that's, what, that's what was said. And I think... Going back to what I said at the beginning when I was talking about our superintendent in Greece, she came out, they did the, the ladies from NYU, you know, did their first day of training with us, and she got up and she said, this is not going away, right? And so when I look at Greece and I look at how we've taken the equity work, it's been embedded in our five-year plan, mm-hmm. right? So if you were to go to that document and read through it, equity, social-emotional learning, cultural responsive education is embedded throughout that thing over and over and over again, mm-hmm. right? Like our school improvement plans, again, have that same language, right? And the, the actions and the goals are based in that same language mm-hmm. so that if the principal of this building was to leave, mm-hmm. someone could step in and still see what the goal is mm-hmm. for this district or mm-hmm. for that building, mm-hmm. right? Like it doesn't go away. It really has to be in every single system, right? Like, and that's the part... Um, about the Guardians of Equity. So the Guardians of Equity, just so that our listeners know, the Guardian of Equity is is a group, essentially. It's a group of what I like to call believers. Mm-hmm. People who understand the importance of providing students with what they need, not necessarily about everyone getting the same, mm-hmm. but what's fair for individual students to help them reach their fullest potential, mm-hmm. right? To make sure that everyone is achieving, mm-hmm. right? But the Guardians of Equity takes that philosophy and they also look at it through the lens of race. Mm-hmm. So in Greece, we have a district-wide Guardians of Equity, which I sit on, and we look at systems through a district. Mm-hmm. And then just this past year, they charge, uh, the district charged every school building to set up their own Guardians of Equity, mm-hmm. right? And again, depending on that school leader, depending on where they are with their own self-awareness of this problem and where they fit into the problem, some buildings have flourished with their Guardians of Equity, and some buildings are still in the very beginning phases of just 
what is this, mm-hmm. right? And then within that program, the individuals on that team should be sitting on different committees within the building, within the district, sitting on, on different teams. And when things come up, right, when we're talking about special education and they're saying, hey, before we refer this kid to special education, let's look. And we want to refer this black boy there because he's loud a lot in class, mm-hmm. all right, or he's very threatening. Mm-hmm. That guardian should be able to say, hey, wait a minute, what do we mean by threatening? Mm-hmm. What, what do we mean by that? Mm-hmm. And, and, and once we get, figure out what it means, what else can we do before we put this child in special education because of behavior? Mm-hmm. Like, what else can we do? Can we create a, can we do a functional behavioral assessment? Can we come up with some other positive reinforcement plans to mm-hmm. support this child? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and are we following the process with, with, with due diligence to make mm-hmm. sure that this kid goes through the system, uh, goes through the system and, and we really determine if this child really needs an individual educational program, mm-hmm. right? To determine if there's bad special education or are there other approaches we can take? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's huge. And so, and so what we really, again, going back to what I was saying before, we, we, we need outsiders to come in to sometimes open our eyes mm-hmm. and to really teach us how to do the work, guide us on how to do the work as our own entity mm-hmm. so that it doesn't die when they fade. Right, right. Have you heard from parents? Yes. So we hear from parents often, just mm-hmm. like any central school district or any school district does. Um, and the way we hear from parents um, comes in many different ways, right? Like, so sometimes parents are calling to say, hey, this is, I, we've had a racist experience, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's funny because in even that, and I'm talking about like a family of color, Mm -hmm. even that sometimes when you kind of weed through what they get through and they say, well, that person used the word ghetto with my child or that person never calls on my child, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Going back to that self-awareness thing and and responsible decision-making, right? Mm -hmm. It's looking and you're saying, okay, this this parent used a powerful word when it comes to the word racism Mm -hmm. or racist. Mm Right? And sometimes they're describing passive racism. Mm-hmm. But because we view as a society the word racism as active racism, sometimes that means we can, we can turn that parent off. Right? Yeah. And we can say, oh, no, like, that didn't happen. What are you talking about? Right, yeah. they, they, they have a system for calling on kids. Yes. And your child just, in the popsicle sticks, they, they didn't get caught this day. Yeah. Right? Um, and then when, when it comes to this equity work, we have, we started, um, Greece has a parent university, mm-hmm. and so about once a month, twice a month, um, there's a parent university around different topics. It's not just around race, mm-hmm. but it's reading initiatives, math initiatives, mm-hmm. um, social emotional trauma, um, but we have done a few around race, mm-hmm. um, specifically disproportionality, mm-hmm. um, and the one that we went to on disproportion- disproportionality was really mind-blowing, right? Because if you think about it, teach our parents trust the school system, right? Based on their experiences with a school system, mm-hmm. right? So you want to think that everyone sends their child to school knowing that a school system will take care of them, mm-hmm. 
right? Like knowing that that school system is going to work with their best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to connect what I just said to what I said earlier about Glenn Singleton and his Courageous Conversations text when he said, families of color talk about race all the time. Mm-hmm. Whereas oftentimes, white families do not, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. of the beliefs that we're talking about and it could be racist and so on and so forth. Whereas black families or, and, and Latino families is talked about often because they're talking about things that they have perceived to be a racist act, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so it's like this, this experience, this shared experience that they could have, mm-hmm. right? So I'm sitting in this parent university meeting with um, all of these families and they were predominantly black families that were there. There were white families. There was predominantly black families. And when and it was the presenter um, that night was from NYU. Mm-hmm. So she was presenting on disproportionality. And it was really about bringing awareness around the topic. And there was this fascinating response to it in the sense of, I know that unfair things happen to my child because of race. However, hearing about it on the systemic level is mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like it's confirming what we've talked about in a way. Mm-hmm. And it was actually kind of sad, right? Yeah. Because, again, these are parents who sometimes don't, they don't have choices. And even if you did have a choice, where would you go to escape this type of, of system? Right. right? You can pay for a private school, but that doesn't mean it isn't there. It right. is there. Right. You can go to a charter school. It's it there. is there. Right. Right? Unless you're fortunate enough to homeschool your kid, but what opportunities is that might be robbing the child, right? When it comes to socialization and so on and so forth. So imagine that moment in the room where the presenter asks, so how many people have heard of disproportionality before? Or was this your first time? And parents like, this was our first time. And now I still got to send my kid there the next tomorrow. Knowing that these, knowing that there's, three times the likelihood that my child, just because of their skin color and implicit bias, may get a harsher consequence than their colleague. Or may not get challenged, called on, advanced, right? You know, recognized right. for their achievements. Right. Well, because we spent a lot of time in, in our interview today talking so far around discipline, yeah. but the other piece of that is student achievement, is yeah. racial achievement, and sometimes like missing the boat on accelerating students, mm-hmm. right? Like especially our students of color, um, and there's multiple barriers there, right? So there's sometimes systemic barriers mm-hmm. where it's like you got to have a certain GPA to be an AP or an IB class. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have limited behavioral referrals, but even in districts that don't allow those type of systems. And I'm proud to say that Greece is one of them. So really, any child that they choose can say, I want to take AP, IB. Yeah. So where's the barrier there? Well, I'll tell you. It's more of a silence, a silent barrier. Mm-hmm. Because then you get a student in these classrooms and they're looking and they're like, man, there's nobody that looks like me. Yeah. There's nobody that looks like me in this room. And if there is, I don't know. I maybe not even know that kid. Yeah. Right? Am I um, in the right place? Am I in the right place? All my friends are two doors down. Yeah. I'm in AP English, and they're all in regular English 10. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I don't get to see them. So now it's, I, I got to get out of here because I want to be with my buddies. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so 
again, that's where like a Guardians of Equity team, that's where looking at things through an equity lens mm-hmm. could help you identify, well, what do we have to do to make sure that all of our students have not opportunity, mm-hmm. but access, mm-hmm. access to reach those opportunities, yeah. right? So what do I have to do to make sure that, because again, the opportunity to take AP, advanced placement classes and IB courses is there. Yeah. Anyone could do it. Mm-hmm. But now I gotta make sure that our kids have access to that program mm-hmm. and want to be successful in that program and can be successful in that program. And if that means getting more students that look like them in those classes, how do we look at it from a systemic approach? Mm-hmm. How do we how do we promote more students going into the program? Is it an is it an opt out situation versus an opt in? Mm-hmm. Where oh, all kids all kids are in are in these courses, yeah. and then instead of looking at our you know like our academic intervention service for struggling students already in a remedial program, our AIS program are for kids who are still in AP. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. but they're getting a they're getting an extra class to support them being successful in AP. Mm-hmm. Or take our students with special needs. Mm-hmm. If they have um, two teachers in their classroom, usually it's two teachers in a class that's not an accelerated course or an advanced course. It's two teachers in a more traditional course. Right. Why can't that special education teacher push into an, an AP World History class? Right. And provide the same level of support for those students, right? Mm-hmm. And it does mean a mind shift in our thinking and a mind shift in what type of student that looks like. Mm-hmm. But if we had an approach like that, mm-hmm. right, which the New York State Equity Coalition does call for an approach like that, mm-hmm. right, an opt out versus an opt in, then that kid who comes in and says, there's no kids that look like me, it, it, that would be almost non-existent. Now, mm-hmm. now if, you're a, if you're a minority student who goes to a predominantly white school, you'll still have that feeling, right? Mm-hmm. But it would be, hopefully, it would still be proportionate to the population of the building. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be something that you're not used to, mm-hmm. right? So it would be like, oh, there's two other black kids in here? Well, there's always two other black kids in all of my classes, yeah. right? Versus, hey, there's... 16 black kids in my ELA class, mm-hmm. but but then in my AP social studies class, there's me and one other. Yeah, That's a problem, yeah. right? And so what message does that send that kid? But also, what message does it send those white children? Right. right? So it's not just the, the black and Latino child, but what about those white children who look and they say, hey, mm-hmm. all me and my friends, we're all in AP. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm in my one class that's not AP, mm-hmm. and I can see a plethora of other kids of different races, what message does that send? Right? And again, it may not be active racism, mm-hmm. but thoughts start to form. Our brain creates stories based off of the pieces of information we get. And it may sit there. Mm-hmm. It may sit there yeah. and then manifest itself someday. So if you're that little white girl who's in a class and you've been accelerated your entire high school career, mm-hmm. your whole school career, and you've only ever seen kids who look like you in your classes, and then you decide you want to be a teacher, so then you go to college and you still don't see many kids who look like you. Mm-hmm. There's still far and few between that. It's black and Latino students, mm-hmm. right? And it's mostly white. And then you go into a school setting and they're like, hey, you know, you get to nominate kids to be in AP next year. It's not about being actively racist in that moment. Yeah. It may just be what you've known over the years mm-hmm. that tells you, that's an, that's an AP kid. That's an IB kid. That's an accelerated math seven kid. Mm-hmm. And that kid, not so much. Yeah, yeah. Or our subjective reasoning is going back to behavior. That kid's too loud. Yeah. 
That's not what happens in AP courses. Yeah. Mm -mm. Can't do it. You see? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. This is incredible work you all are doing in the Greece school system, and, and I applaud you for it. I mean, I hope that, you know, continued success. It's a lot of work. This is, it's I, so I tell heavy. you, this is not easy at all, and it's very heavy. It takes a lot of uh, people who are all working together to continue to 100%. integrate the, the learning and the process and I just think it's fantastic that uh, you guys are doing this work. And yeah, I'm I, very proud to work for a district that got who saw the obstacles, who saw the challenges and said we're going to confront it mm -hmm. and not run away from it no matter how hard it would be. Yeah. It's really exciting actually. Yeah. It's exciting. It is. Mm -hmm. It is. I'm happy for you, even though I'm so sad that you left our school, School of the Arts, but I'm very, very happy for you, and, and, you. and you're doing fantastic work. Thank you. Hopefully, maybe you'll come back in a year when I'm on season three or four with maybe one of your Guardians of Equity, and we can talk more to. about results and mm -hmm. see how things are going. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you for having me. Thank I you so much it. for joining me, Brandon.